I'm super excited to have Christina Hardigan here. Christina is the wine director for Gooseneck Hospitality in uh, Vancouver, BC. Uh, she and I met, uh, you know, I guess, a year and a half ago now uh, on the aforementioned Wine BC boot camp trip, which was super cool. Um, and that trip had a lot of people from BC on it, um, and some some of us Yanks as well, and a few other people. Um, but I think one of the things that I uh, wanted to have Christina on to talk about was certainly uh, the BC wine industry, and um, we'll, we'll probably start out there, uh, but also to just talk about what life as a wine director in 2021 is like, because um, it's been a weird year for all for those of us who either have or had that title, uh, as it has been for everyone, of course. But um, so, so let's just start, if you don't mind, Christina, with a little bit, like, how did you, because you and I were talking yesterday as kind of in preparation that you came to the wine industry, um, you know, not right away out of, you know, high school or college or whatever, like, like some people. So how did you kind of get to, how, how did wine become your career? Yeah, I um, I was traveling the year after I graduated from university and I was backpacking and I ended up working on a vineyard in France. So it was oh. just total luck of the draw and I, I, I'd always really, I loved restaurants and I loved wine um, kind of in that, like I, I like the second cheapest bottle of wine on the list mm. um, kind of way as a 22 year old would. and. Um, I ended up working on this vineyard in France, just kind of fell in love with the whole process of it. But it was really just a hobby for many years. And I, I went off, went back to university, had another career. And then um, about, I think, 2013 was when I started sort of delving a little bit deeper and took my WSET courses. Um, and then I sort of got into the education side of things a little bit with a friend who was opening a restaurant and then ended up on the floor, back on the floor again after many years of being out of hospitality um, and and just decided to go back full time. So uh, it was a little bit of a roundabout way and it was a lot of reading and enjoying wine before I really got into the uh, um, the industry itself. But uh, yeah, I think this <laughs> and is, I haven't left that since. <laughs> yeah, I think that this is something that maybe we'll talk about a little later, but in general, do you feel like having had a, a career and a, and a life outside of the restaurant industry and outside of wine gives you a different perspective? Because I think that, I'll just say for me candidly, one thing that I think is true is that um, sometimes people I meet who are wine pros, and maybe this is just why we got along, are a little myopic. They're, they're very, very knowledgeable about wine. They're very passionate. Some of them are very good at what they do but when you but they they if they've been doing it you know if they haven't been doing anything else they've been in the industry for either a short time but don't have any other work experience or they are longtime pros in some senses too they lack you know they just don't have out, outside experience I, I, my sense is that yeah. for, for you that's a benefit yeah i'd say well i think like anything you do is is always going to help you <laughs> I'm like the, the constant student who will take any course that um, I have time to take. So anything you do is always going to help you in whatever career you decide to do. But I think that uh, in one sense, it's very easy for me to get very insular with my crowd of friends at, who are in the restaurant industry and we can get pretty nerdy about wine. But it's also um, nice to have that sort of uh, those wine nights with my friends who are completely in different industries because I, I worked with them uh, prior to being in the wine industry. Mm. And um and you get a better, maybe you get a different perspective on, on sort of what everyone's understanding or what they're looking for in wine. And so you kind of have a, a, a nice broad view, I guess that's helpful. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, it's, I think whatever, whatever way you come from, you're going to come with different life experience, but, um, but it's, I guess I, I, it probably also just helps with excitement. Like, you know, I've only been in the industry for like, I'm like, Oh, I'm still excited about this, <laughs> this industry. Um, it keeps you from getting jaded. <laughs> yeah, and, and let, <laughs> I, I'm going to do a little bit of uh, bragging on your behalf because I think that um, in a short period of time, you have um, accumulated quite a list of both sort of achievements academically or, or at least uh, sort of um, in the sense of uh, accreditation, accreditations and also uh, competitions. And you can list your whole CV if you want. Um, but I know you are now an advanced sommelier through the quartermaster sommeliers. What WSET level did you reach up to? Diploma? Yes. Yeah, diploma. And um, have at least competed in some like best SOM Canada stuff. I don't, I, again, these I don't do a lot of research for. I just know that because <laughs> I've 
because I follow Christina on social media and there's always post pictures of very, very professionally taking pictures of her winning wine competition. So um, the, the point is, is that, you know, you are maybe a newcomer, but also a very, very well, well versed in wine broadly um, and obviously very good at the sort of academic side of it as well. Um, before we go into talking about BC wine a little bit, where, where in France was the vineyard you worked on? Uh, it was in Burgundy. It was in Mali Saint Denis. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had no idea that I pretty much started at the top it, and I remember coming back to Vancouver and being like, apparently I like Pinot Noir. I really enjoyed it there. And then I came back and I was trying to find these. I was like, why aren't these $12 Pinot Noirs delicious? Like, yeah. why are they different? Why are they not as good? And so that kind of sparked a bit of curiosity for me as well as to like, why, why was it so different? Um, but it was a, an amazing place to go, an amazing place to, to sort of start and, and start my discovery of wine. So. <laughs> Very cool. So let's talk a little bit about BC and, um, and starting with maybe just a little bit. We'll, we'll, I think we'll mostly talk about the Okanagan Valley because that's kind of the, the majority, you know, it's where most of the wine is made in the province. But I do want you to talk a little bit or, or share maybe a little bit about some of the lesser known appellations within BC. Uh, yeah. the Okanagan Valley is super well known for most people, but at least if, if you've heard of BC wine, you've probably heard of the Okanagan Valley. But let's let's start with the Okanagan and maybe you can just give us a really quick overview of kind of what what the landscape maybe literally and also sort of just in terms of wineries is. Yeah, absolutely. So the Okanagan, it's a really young region. Um, and when you think about it, it's really, they started planting Vitis vinifera in, in the mid 80s. And so it hasn't got... A long history, but um, in that time, it's I think it's really shown that there's the ability to grow quality grapes there, and um, some great wines coming out of out of the region. Uh, not a huge area, but um, about about 85% of what is grown in BC is in the Okanagan, I believe, and it's um it, it's a it's a narrow valley that stretches. Um, if we're looking up sort of like north of Kelowna. Um, right down to the to the U.S. border, and it changes in that area. Um, from being sort of a cooler climate where we're growing Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and doing sparkling wines. And as it goes south, uh, you get down to an actual desert down in um, Asoyuz and where Cabernet Sauvignon, Cab uh, Merlot, Cabernet Franc are all grown uh, and do well there. So it's a really, really interesting region because it's so diverse as you travel through it, but it's not actually that big. So um, pretty interesting. Uh, it's grown so quickly over the last couple of years as well. Just the number of wineries, the number of small producers that are kind of popping up. Yeah, you're living the life I lived like eight or 10 years ago when the number of wineries in Washington like doubled in two years or something. Yeah. Like everyone would suddenly start coming up to me like, oh, have you heard of this winery? And I just feel like, no, like, you know, <laughs> every everyone in, a, in the area was seemingly starting their own winery. That's still to some extent going on. The growth continues but has slowed some but like there was that period of accelerated growth where we're just like I can't sure I go to yeah. I go to taste Washington which is like our big wine event every year and you know like year to year there I would look at the list of participating wineries and there would be you know a third of the wineries I had never heard of before and as, as someone whose job it was to know the wineries in Washington and it was I mean that's part of why I went was like here was my opportunity to taste and meet um so you talked a little bit about how kind of there's this real um, meaningful difference from the northern end of the valley um, in that sort of like Vernon area up north of Kelowna mm -hmm. all the way down to um, like Asoyas and Oliver near the U.S. border. But I think also um, a thing to be aware of, too, is, you know, most of the vineyard land is pretty close to um, Okanagan Lake and the the um, the side of the lake you're on also has a big impact um, especially for the north where there's a little bit it's just cooler in general and for those of you who I don't know if anyone actually be curious if anyone wants to mention in chat besides perhaps uh, your family member who I'm assuming is maybe also a, a Canadian has anyone if anyone else has been to um, this part of uh, BC um, for one beyond the wine it's a beautiful I mean it, the, the the lake is really actually the lakes because there's a couple of different glacial lakes um, of which um, Lake Okanagan is the furthest north but um, or uh, but the um, the it's it's strikingly beautiful um obviously there's a, a great and growing wine industry um but i was gonna i was gonna ask you christina like can you you know does that sort of can you explain kind of the difference of the side of the lake thing as well yeah absolutely so it kind of depends on where you are on the lake because the lake is 
pretty huge and uh um it it really depends if you're at like kind of the narrow, the narrow parts of the, the wider parts as to like how much of effect it's going to have. But when you are in Kelowna, you are looking at, um, at like West Kelowna and um, on the eastern side of the lake too, on Lake Okanagan, you're seeing quite a difference in, in what people are growing there. Um, and then like you can start to see as you go down to the southern part of the lake, you start to see these like bigger reds starting to come up as well, like and, and kind of being on that, uh, that western side of the lake. Um, uh, like you do see a bit more of the of the reds being grown so um, it just it just changes if you are up north like though it's, it's all about white wines it's about sparkling it's um, it's really you get these wonderful aromatic whites and the, I think the one thing that you do see the whole way through the Okanagan is this incredible diurnal um, shift so the temperatures between night and day are, can be huge and you get these slightly shorter but very very hot summers um, but very cool nights and and so that that change in temperature really uh, um, it makes a very big difference in terms of sort of the acidity that that stays in the wines and I think that's a real marker for BC wines is that uh, beautiful acidity that's kind of through I think all of our varieties yeah. um, even when it's unexpected so <laughs> um, I think Viognier is the best example of that I mean I like BC Viognier because it has acidity so yeah, yeah. And that is, for those of you who are not big Viognier drinkers, one of the general complaints about Viognier is that it tends to lack acidity in a lot of places because um, you know, it just tends to ripen relatively vigorously. And is often, I mean, also we're thinking about it grown in places like uh, the Southern Rhone or places like that, where or California coast, where it is relatively warm. And more to the point, you don't get this big temperature swing. Because yeah, it's, it's really striking. I mean, obviously, um, you know, this part of BC is really an extension of the Sonoran Desert, um, which runs all the way from essentially Mexico up through to kind of this, you know, basically terminates kind of just, you know, in this area in British Columbia. And then once you get above there, you're really too cold, I think, to technically, and you start to get more um, influence from the Rockies, I think, um, of, of that kind of more, it's wetter during the year. Um, and it is striking, you know, uh, one of the, there are lots of things I learned upon my many visits to, to the uh, Okanagan Valley. One of the ones that's funny is, um, I think someone told me at one of the wineries that it's considered the Jersey Shore of Canada, um, because it's like one of the yeah. warmest parts of Canada, which, you know, makes sense. I mean, it's, uh, it's you know, uh, definitely got the rain shadow effect that you see in eastern Washington. Um, I think also there's a lot of people who kind of either people who made money in um, Vancouver or who made money like in Alberta in like the, you know, oil and, and natural um, extraction industries, like either summer in Kelowna or they buy houses there or whatever, or in that area because it's nicer. Um, or wineries. Yeah, or they buy wineries. Yeah, depending on, depending on how well you did in those industries, you either buy a home or you buy a winery um, or both, I guess. Um, and I'm curious, you know, uh, Christina, like, I want to talk a little bit more about some specific wines and wineries in a moment, but I want to ask too, because you're in Vancouver, what is the, what is the general perception of and like relationship to BC wine and maybe, you know, I guess BC wine broadly and maybe wines from the Okanagan in particular in Vancouver, both among like your peers in the restaurant industry and then also among consumers. Is there a lot of, you know, is it kind of, do they feel like the home team? Is there a lot of like, we want to support locals or is there, and that may be different for those two groups, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it, there's a there's huge amount of support in Vancouver for BC wines. And I think um, it's it's in both in consumer and in industry. Um, I think the, the industry realized quite quickly that it wasn't going to be, there was, there was no large scale production that was going to happen. So it was never going to be cheap wine. And so quite quickly, it became obvious that it was going to be uh, just generally a higher price um, in our market. And it wasn't going to be able to compete with Malbec from um, Argentina or, or like just anything from Chile or, you know, anything from around the world where there's sort of that larger production and lower price point. So um, it quite quickly began to focus on quality. And, and so it does very well in restaurants. Um, because no matter how small the winery is, even if you have a small allocation of wine, you can get it to a restaurant and it gets into the hands of somebody who's going to tell the story. So it has, it has kind of a great avenue for that. Um, you will see most restaurants in Vancouver will have BC wines on the list. A lot of restaurants will be BC only. Um, it's just, 
partially that's out of um, ease for um, delivery because we have a government run um, liquor system here, which can be quite complicated. So getting BC wines can happen very quickly when international wine is quite difficult. Um, and then part of that is also just out of uh, the popularity of them. And yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of both. I mean, I'm a really big fan. I've always worked with BC wines. Uh, the last three lists I've been working with have, have all featured BC. So. And I'm curious too, you know, um, obviously now is not really the time, but, but pre-pandemic, you know, restaurants, you know, being a, a wine director for a restaurant company in Vancouver, I'm sure you got visitors from all over the world. With them, you know, is what's their, what is the general attitude towards BC wine? And also kind of, um, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, like how do you, what, what's the, what were the ways in which you kind of convinced someone who might be skeptical? Because for, for the, I'm just going to explain this too for those of you who aren't super familiar, like one of the many challenges when it comes to BC wine outside of BC is like, it's very, very difficult to get it out of the country. There are some wineries, I think, that have some, you know, exports to the UK. Um, and, but, but here in the United States, even here in Washington, across the border, you know, there's a handful of British Columbia wines that are in the market. Um, I will, like, uh, take a moment here to say, like, several of them are in this market because I, like, specifically pushed in, in yeah. order to work with them. Um, so you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <Find them. laughs> it's, been a, it's been a labor of love for me um, and because I as much as I love and it's, it's actually proven to be very valuable because I can't go to like I, you know my, my whole, part of my whole rationale was selfish which is like I really like the wines I didn't want to have to drive to Kelowna which is a five and a half hour drive-ish if there's not much border traffic uh, every time I wanted more wine um, I've done it a few times for sure <laughs> Um, but I, I wanted to be able to get the wine in uh, locally in the market and also to be able to have it in my restaurants, which I did back when I was doing that. And, uh, and so anyhow, so the point is, a lot of the wine is hard to find outside of the, outside of British Columbia, really, even in other parts of Canada, I think it's hard to find. So how, so people don't have any familiarity with it. They may not have heard of it, even if they're a relatively sophisticated wine drinker. So when people did come to, from all parts of the world, how did you kind of, what did you do? Like, what was the, was it just here, try this? Was it, you know, are you working with a, with a industry that makes a lot of different kinds of wines? Like how, how would, how did that go? So I think um, BC, I mean, like a lot of new world places, there's no limit on what you can produce in the, in the region. So people are trying everything. And because it is a, a young wine region still too, people are, are really experimenting with a lot of different varieties. Um, so you do have a lot of everything. And so people don't know what to expect, but uh out-of-town guests coming to the restaurant and usually it's just you, they want to try something local. I mean uh, the Vancouver restaurant scene is so focused on local products and that sort of um, you know like you guys it's, it's Pacific Northwest. It, it is that style of food and I think Seattle restaurants are quite similar in that way of um, really focusing on what we what we do have which is an incredible produce and incredible seafood and um, with a focus on something that's local, people want to try something local. So that was, it's always an easy conversation. It's more about finding the style that they like and whether or not I had that style of BC wine, but, um, but finding something that, that made sense for them. But there really is such a range in BC that <laughs> you can really find something for everyone. Um, yeah, and I, I just found it, I found that people just really wanted to try local. Like that was a lot, that was a big thing with the summer. The summer, uh, in the summer, the list, um, I would I would bring in more BC wine for the summer months, partially because I love those sort of really bright, refreshing BC whites, and then also because we had so many people from out of town coming in, and there was a lot more fish on the menu, and it was just people wanted something cold and refreshing. So, <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about some of the you know things to to eat. Well, we'll start with maybe a uh, a non uh, constrained view because obviously. Uh, for most everyone, the list of what's available in, you know, if you're not in BC is pretty tight at this point. But for people who might want to dream on a vacation to, to mm -hmm. BC, those of us who are down here in the States, um, or even other parts of Canada, whatever, uh, what, you can pick, you can name favorites, I would, would appreciate it. But if you don't feel like you want to do oh, yeah. that, totally <laughs> I'll, I'll say some of my favorites, that's fine. Um, but like starting kind of with, I guess let's work maybe north to south, probably the easiest mm. way to do it. So 
are there wines or wineries that you feel like, hey, you know, these are these are some of my favorite producers, maybe first in that kind of, you've got some, I, that's right. You have, I told you, <laughs> I pulled all these bottles out of my wine fridge because I was like, these are all the BCs I have right here that I wanted, I was trying to decide. Wait, wait, just walk us, pull, walk us through the wines you have. That's an even better. Yeah. Um, so Tantalus, see that label because it's nice and shiny. Yeah. Uh, Tantalus is uh, in Kelowna and they are a producer that, have, they've actually been around for, for quite a few years um, and they have some older, some of the oldest vines in that region, um, but they're producing a lot of Riesling. That's really their focus. And I think that Riesling is a really a standout grape in the region. Um, so their Rieslings, I have tasted some, some back vintages and they are outstanding. They age so well. Um, I just can't seem to actually hold on to the bottles. So <laughs> I keep buying them and saying I'm going to keep them and then keep drinking them. But um, they do a lovely Pinot as well and Chardonnay. They do traditional method sparklings. They do uh, a lovely sparkling Riesling as well, which mm -hmm. is great. Um, but just uh, it's, it's it, like, it's one of the, I think one of the best wineries kind of in the Northern part of the Okanagan. I really love that. And pretty much everything they put out, but it's great. Their old vines Riesling is just is, I think it's uh, a great one to to put away for a few years. <laughs> I have a couple that I have put away for a few years. I have maybe slightly more restraint. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> if you ever man, if if the border ever opens and you can come visit, we'll we'll open one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say too about Tanos. It's funny. So so uh, um, Tanos is this great. There's a lot of funny things about it. Um, Dave Patterson, who's the winemaker there is uh, uh originally from new zealand and um he told me one of like one of the funniest things i think i've uh a winemaker's told me in a while uh, a number of years ago when i was visiting and we he was talking about their uh when since he took over they've been big into you know sustainability in a pretty kind of holistic mm -hmm. sense and one of the many things that he did was that you know he really wanted them to plant um all these crops kind of on the you know, at the uh, ends of the rows of vines, you know, they, t because there's one thing you want to do I mean, that a lot of, I think a lot of wineries in BC and all over the world do is, you know, they allow a certain amount of um, cover crops slash weed, whatever growth between the rows that like there, there are some vineyards you'll go to in various parts of the world and it's like very aggressively tilled or even they're using, you know, herbicides and stuff like that to kill everything else. I think a lot of people realize that all in all, it's better for the broad health of the soil if you have stuff growing between your rows. But there's also this whole idea of planting things at the ends of rows, flowers and the like that attract pollinators, even though vines don't need to be pollinated, but those plants tend to attract also um, pests will, will kind of glom onto those plants instead of your vines yeah. um, because those plants are much less well, like vines are pretty hardy and these are much more inviting targets for pests, but if you give them nothing else to, to go after, they'll go after your vines. Um, and so because of this, because of all these flowers and stuff like that, there's a lot of bees. And I was, and it, uh, I think uh, Tantalus actually makes some honey. Uh, they actually have a couple of beehives as well. And I was, and you know, Dave just from passing was like, by the way, I'm like deathly allergic to bees. And I was like, well, was like this a difficult decision for you? Like, you know, uh, you know what, it seems like you're tempting fate here. Like you're in the vineyard all the time like aren't you worried about like you know getting stung and he's like yeah, if i die out here this is where i'd want to die anyhow <laughs> and i was like fair enough i mean that's one way to look at things like yeah. <laughs> i mean he yeah. has like a wife and kids so that's a little much but you know um good good for him so he always has his epi pen with him so <laughs> it's true he did mention that so yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not totally he's not totally uh doesn't have a death wish exactly yeah but. yeah absolutely um, yeah, I mean, Kelowna has, has so much going on there. There's also, um, on the other side of the lake, you'll find beautiful Pinot Gris and, um, there's, yeah, lots of, lots of Pinot Noir, lots of Chardonnay, um, and then, and lots of aromatic, uh, white varieties as well. So, um, interesting area. I'm trying to think of what's, what's next here. It doesn't, uh, you don't have to worry about being in, you know, okay. geographic order, just whatever you grab next is fine. Uh, Quailsgate, which I know that you're a fan of as well. They're, um, they're available available in Washington State here. And they are. I know. I remember I saw the Chenin Blanc in uh, like just just across the border going over to Lummi Island. And um, I saw a Chenin Blanc in a, a grocery store. And I was really excited and almost bought it. But I was like, I doesn't make sense to buy it in yeah. right yeah. now. There's something um, in that that doesn't make sense. Yeah. But, uh, but really... But a really great winery that has um, has really been a, a part of um, establishing the VQA, which is a the Vintners Quality um, uh, Alliance that is a 
like just that was started I think in 1990 so it was um it's really just about sort of that switch from growing these hybrids to growing Vitis vinifera and making quality wine and and really encouraging that and if he has a stamp of the VQA then you know it's gone through testing and you know that it's um it's it's met all these standards and that it's produced where it says it's produced and there is a a, a uh, sort of a subheading in the the BC liquor stores that's like bottled in BC, which means it can be juice that's brought from somewhere else and then fermented here, or it can be wine that's made somewhere else and then just bottled here. So it's a really strange um, kind of uh, bulk wine section, but the VQA really sort of took over that and, and brought in this, uh, this level of quality and, and sort of the assurance that there is a quality in that. So, um, but Quailsgate was really one of the, the founders of that and really pushed for it and, and brought all these wineries up with it. So there's, it's a really important kind of association. Yeah. And, and they have, uh, they're one of the, there's a few of these, if you go to that, to, certainly in the Kelowna area, both Kelowna and West Kelowna, there's a couple of the larger wineries like Quailsgate, like Mission Hill, et cetera, that have, you know, a little more what most people would associate with kind of like, like Tantalus has a very nice tasting room, mm -hmm. um, but you know there's a a production winery and a tasting room, and that's it. I mean, that's not to say that that's all a winery needs. Doesn't even really need a tasting room. Obviously, you just need somewhere to make the wine and some vineyards. But um, but you know, Questgate has a restaurant, and yeah. you know, they they have more of a, the sort of things that one associates in a lot of parts of this country with kind of wine tourism. Um, so they're always a ready stop. I will say this is. I'm happy to say this. I also think they make significantly better wine than Mission Hill in general. Like Mission Hill is not my favorite place personally. Um, although I will also say- Mission Hill is definitely worth a visit. It is, it is the winery that makes um, every wine, like from every level of quality. So yes. it, it makes the wine that, that like is boxed and used for kitchen wine in restaurants. And it makes to some of the very top bottlings in, in BC. Um, and it, it's definitely, you know, one of those very important wineries that you need to have who really like paves the way for other people. Uh, I do think that Coilsgate is a, is a wonderful and, and like wonderful winery and they make some really high quality wines as well. Yeah. Um, but you, you need, like, you need those numbers and you need that kind of spread of, of uh, quality levels as well uh, in the industry. So. Yeah. And also like, it's very true that, like I said, you know, you also need the wineries that are going to be the place where someone whose idea of a, of a winery visit is like, beautifully manicured lawn and um you know someone in a suit and tie to like hand them a glass or whatever mm. like that sounds like i'm being uh critical and i mean i'm only being critical in the sense of like that's a specific kind of wine tourism and and totally. he is very in the okanagan valley is very well sort of situated to do wine tourism because it is so beautiful and it is such a place that is I mean, all, most wine regions are at least reasonably picturesque. Few are as picturesque as, as the Okanagan. Um, and it has, and there's a lot of demand for that kind of thing. And I appreciate it because to some extent, it keeps those people out of the wineries that I mostly want to go visit. <laughs> they're, they're a little less crowded. Although you never know when a bus, one of my other favorite like little discoveries on my first trip there was apparently in Canada, at least in BC, uh, a bachelorette party is referred to a staget as a staget party. Mm. Maybe that's also, I think, a Britishism. And um, man, when my wife and I were at Quailsgate, there were like ten of them going on at the same time. And it was yeah. like each, you know, each had their little section of the space, and it's like, I, I, whatever, good for you. Yeah, guys. it's uh, it's very Instagrammable. Yes, fair. <laughs> um, but the Okanagan is, and that's definitely been like a trend over the years. Has been like a lot of staget parties or bachelorette parties. Uh, um, going through for wine tastings. And so uh, it's an interesting side to the tourism industry for sure. But, uh, <laughs> but it's a beautiful place, so you can understand why. Um, going down a little bit further south, uh, if you go down to Penticton, Penticton's another one of the towns. So Kelowna is really a major city, um, sort of in the northern part of the Okanagan. And then you, if you go a little bit further south, you're going down to Penticton, you're down at the southern end of the Okanagan Lake. And it's quaint and cute and lovely and you have the Naramata bench along um, the eastern side of the lake there and it is uh, I think one of my favorite parts of the Okanagan. Um, I think it's it's the place where you're sort of in the middle where you meet every, where everything meets so you have these beautiful Pinot Noirs, you have Syrah, you have uh, sparkling wine and you have uh, lovely 
uh, aromatic whites being produced as well. Um, Nickel Vineyard is one. Um, sorry, the lighting is terrible here. Uh, Nickel Vineyard here. Um, and they are really known for their Syrah. They have some older, older vines there and really nice, really low intervention, just simply made, but beautifully made and has always been a great food wine. Uh, and Roche, um, lovely couple who actually, um, husband and wife, husband's from North Vancouver, wife is from Bordeaux. She grew up in a chateau, uh, or in a, you know, Vigneron's family. So, um, and she, they met in New Zealand making wine and then ended up back in Bordeaux. He did wine school in Burgundy. Uh, he went to his education in Burgundy. And so they've made wine sort of all around the world and ended up back in, uh, on the Naramata bench. And they've got this lovely little spot where they're making beautiful Pinot Noirs, Chardonnay and Pinot Gris. So that's what you see a lot of there. Um, and it's interesting too, because the Naramata bench, uh, if I correctly, kind of terminates in the, there's a bunch of is it national forest or essentially undeveloped land on the east side of the lake up there right yeah so it's like you can't you can't access it from the the north you have to kind of go through penticton and back up through the yeah. narrow bench and head north again so you it, it's it kind of limits you but when you go there you'll see it is just packed with vineyards and it's amazing because you're on this hillside and you're driving along the road and to your right is a hill up going with vines and to your left is a hill down going um down to the lake and it's just vineyards and it's a it's a really beautiful area We've got some larger wineries there too, like Poplar Grove is another one um, that might actually have made it out to uh, to the states. It's, At least briefly, yeah. I don't know. How yeah, to yeah. Um, and they're making they're making some great wines there too, and, and their Pinot Gris I think is kind of a a standard for uh, for BC Pinot Gris. Cool. And then um, so then I mean, I think the other thing to note here too is like as Christina was explaining, like there were not physically that far but already as you're working your way south the the possibilities for what you can grow are, are changing and to some extent broadening and the the style of wine is even a little bit different because i think like you know christina's right that to some extent through almost every wine you have from bc you end up with this sort of heightened acidity but maybe because it's just more stark in the north and it's just like the Rieslings up there are so um, racy and vibrant that that just comp compared as you move a little further south you get a little bit more warmth or a little bit gentler I mean relatively um, I find that yeah that Narabata bench area is where you start to get a little bit more of that like a little broader texture on the wine and a little bit not that there's less acidity exactly but it's a little less in your face sometimes <laughs> which i sort of appreciate too yeah. um any other producers in that area that you would uh you would mention yeah uh terra vista is uh is a really fun one they're quite small but they're doing they're doing some very fun wines there they're growing albarino and verdejo and they have this blend called fandango and it's just such a fun bright summer food wine it's great with seafood I absolutely love that. But yeah, Terra Vista is, is great. Um, there's so many along there. Uh, um, you have Bella, which is actually just a sparkling producer. Okay. So they just do all sparkling wine. Um, they're growing, uh, they're growing Gamay, they're growing Chardonnay, and they do these, they just, they do about 15 different sparkling wines and they're doing them all different with, differently with uh, like ancestral method and they're doing... Cool. Sort of, yeah, just a really fun, fun producer, very, very low intervention as well. And, and just really respecting the land. If you, and their winery is a wonderful place to visit because they've got animals, they've got pigs, they've got, you know, it's just yeah. a, it's kind of an experience in itself. Um, but they do these beautiful traditional method uh, sparkling wines that um, are I just believe, right? insanely well-priced and, uh, and delicious. So. Um, and then how about as we get south of Penticton? Or yeah, so you can just... Just on the other side of the lake, I'll just say what I'm drinking tonight is Lightning oh. Rock. Um, and Lightning Rock, a fairly new producer, um, but they are in Summerland. So that's just face on the other side of the lake from the Naramata bench, just facing. Um, and they are a young couple doing uh, some really exciting stuff. They've got some beautiful Pinots, Chardonnays, Syrah, Viognier, and they do a tra traditional method sparkling as well, which is, um, I'd say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and say it's my favorite BC sparkling. So. <laughs> so this is the wine winery when I was at, on the aforementioned 
uh, BC Wine Boot Camp trip. There was a one winery that I didn't get to try that Christina and others were like, this is the winery you should try. And it didn't happen. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I'll be back up again. And, you know, yeah. here we are a year and a half okay. later, one day, one day. Next time, next time we meet, we'll br- yeah. I'll bring a bottle. <laughs> Excellent. I'll bring some old vine, Tantalus, Riesling. We'll Perfect. Um, and I think also a thing to note here too is that, um, you know, if you are, any of you are interested in thinking about visiting uh, post-COVID or whatever, um, a nice thing about that sort of Penticton Summerland area is you're really kind of centrally located in the in the wine area. It's like Kelowna is bigger and has more um, amenities. Like it's definitely the, you know, there's more restaurant or at least were, I mean, again, who knows how things are going to look post-COVID, but generally speaking, it's where there's a little more going on there. But you are kind of, if you're trying to get to some of the, especially if you're looking for more medium to full body red wines and stuff, you are kind of kind of have to do a lot of driving. Um, and Penticton is more centrally located in Summerland too, which is kind of nice if you are trying to hit a little bit of everything. Um, it's not quite as big of a, of a haul every day to get to the wineries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I will say like going down a little bit further south, you get into Okanagan Falls, which is sort of this, again, this, this mix, you're, you're seeing a lot of Pinots and Shards, and then, um, and then you start to get down into that southern part, Oliver, and then a Soyuz, which is down right on the border. Um, I mean, you'll see even, uh, um, there'll be people who, who live in the States who work in a Soyuz because it's, it's so close, and um, it's an area that is, is so hot and is a desert and there are rattlesnakes down in the southern part there um and it's uh it's it's great for full-bodied reds it is it is very hot in the summer um i'm trying to think of my fahrenheit and celsius uh, just the celsius that's good but yeah you, you have these 40 degree days and that's that's too hot for me <laughs> so. so wineries down there like i know the view pan is a winery that i've been to that is generally very highly regarded um others down there that you would that you would mention? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you have to look at the, the wineries that have been there for a while that are, are um, have really laid the groundwork for people. And I think Burring Owl is one that, that maybe has made its way out of BC a bit. And it really is, it's a, it's a, it's a bigger, richer style. Um, all of them, so their Pinot Noir is just a little bit oakier there than something from say Kelowna or the Naramata Bench. Um, but their Merlots and their Cabernet Sauvignons are, have the ability to age and, and they've got great structure to them and they are very enjoyable and they're, they're kind of they're a great memory wine for me my dad and I have shared many many bottles from Burring Owl that was oh. kind of one of the wineries he introduced me to so <laughs> well, I have a funny I have a funny thing to add there so my first time in uh the Okanagan Valley area was with my dad yeah. right after I graduated college and we took a road tr- yeah right after I graduated college we took a road trip uh up through we spent a few days in that area and I was 22 I didn't know anything about wine really I mean I knew, like I, I knew a little bit about wine a lot but Burrowing Owl was one of the wineries we went to because mm. back this was in the mid-2000s there were not a lot of wineries in the area at the time um, and most of the ones that were there I mean we didn't make it further north in Penticton but I think most of what was there was in that area because that was kind of where you had yeah the conditions for growing in making these sort of more full-bodied red wines that were very much in vogue at the time. And we had a few bottles. And I remember uh, probably, I guess it would have been that, so there would have been 2016, which would have been 10 years after we took that trip. We opened a bottle from Brewing Owl that we had bought and, and held on to. And yeah, it was quite good. I mean, yeah. a little bit no longer the style of wine that at that point I was as excited about, um, but but well-made, just just a little, yeah, a little more ripe and oak-driven than than what I would have chosen. But it was, you know, those wines can be enjoyable for sure from time to time. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And they're also, it was a style of a style in the time as well. Like I think it, in the early 2000s, it, it really fit the bill and it was what brought attention to the, the possibility of quality in the Okanagan. So for sure. um, that's always, it's a winery and definitely worth visiting. It's a beautiful place as well. Um, if you're down south, I think Lovia Pen, very interesting. So they're doing all, it's a French winemaker um, and she's doing all French styles of wine at Lovia Pen. So a lovely Syrah, um, and they have a, uh, I think Syrah is really their, their main, um, sort of project, but just really their, it's their focus, but also kind of what they're known, they're best known for. They also do a Marsan Roussan, um, 
blend, which is lovely. And then uh, their sister winery, which is a little bit further south, is called La Stella, and it's an Italian-focused style winery. So same winemaker, same team. Um, and there they're doing, they do a super Tuscan. So they do a little bit of Sangiovese, which is crazy because that's actually not grown very often in the, in the Okanagan. So that's lovely. Uh, so a, a, a Cab Merlot, Cab Franc, Syrah and Sangiovese blend, which is really cool. So mm -hmm. La Stella is definitely uh, one to look out for. They're, um, they're yeah, they're doing some, some great things there. And, and then uh, if you're down south as well, Incomeep which is N-K-M-I-P. Um, it's uh, an indigenously owned winery. It was the first of its kind in NBC and it's a very interesting spot. There's a beautiful hotel, a winery, and then also um, a heritage center, which has um, a great view of the history of the, uh, the First Nations of the, of the region. Um, so just a, an interesting place, really interesting place to go and, and some great wines. They're making sort of everything down there. So you get a, a really a nice broad kind of view of what can be produced in BC from Inconique oh. as well. And then, okay, let, let's, let's leave the Okanagan for a brief. Yeah. So I will, I will say, so what, what I'm drinking actually is not from the Okanagan. It's from the nearby Similkameen Valley from Clos de Soleil, which is, um, I guess, uh, so, so I'll, I mean, Christina will probably have more to say than I even do, but the Similkameen, so, so the Similkameen is a place where I think, um, you know, the Okanagan Valley is very beautiful because there's a beautiful string of glacial lakes and it's very picturesque in that way. And I would say the Similkameen is not necessarily beautiful, but it's very striking uh, because you have this incredibly steep-sided valley kind of carved by... Um, the Smokemean River, and, but it's very, very, I mean, again, you walk up into these vineyards and as you walk to the, you know, you're going, you're at a, you know, there's kind of at an, uh, you know, there's an incline and then you almost essentially walk into a, like a cliff face. It's not quite 90 degrees, but it's 70, 75 degrees. Like you can't, not even, like you can't go up it. Um, and it's very stark. Um, it creates a lot of very unusual effects within a very small area where not only does, um, it, there's a lot of wind that goes through. It's very, it's very kind of consistently windy, uh, even during the summer, which is actually great for grape growing. Um, but also literally like the positioning of the valley and where is in shadow during the afternoon is hugely important in terms of what you can grow because it's so, the sides of the valley are so tall that, that parts of it will be in shadow or in shade, you know, an hour and a half or two hours before you know, on the what is it on the south side you'll be in the shade way earlier during the during the growing season than on the north side so um it's a very striking place you see i mean you talk about in the okanagan how within you know a relatively narrow geographic span you can have very different styles of wine well in smoke mean it's like three miles away it's one place they're growing you know riesling in incredibly cold conditions and you go three miles and they're making this which is you know uh like a Cabernet Sauvignon based blend that's like full bodied. Um, so it's wild. It's also, and I will say this because Christina may or may not want to say, it, it is a great place to spend a day. There ain't much else there. There's a lot of, there's vineyards and there's a lot of organic produce, but like Costin and what was it, what's it? Caramios. Uh, Caramios is the other town. I mean, they're like, there's like three stoplights between the two of them. So <laughs> it's not a place. Yeah. Um, I have to say, we actually did, uh, my fiance and I spent, um, spent a couple of days there this summer. We, we were, we went camping in the summer and we, we camped in the Smokemean Valley and it was fantastic. <laughs> it is, I mean, it was a very, uh, wine focused part of our trip, but, uh, but it's absolutely beautiful. It's there. It, you're right. It is so striking there and it's very different to the Okanagan, um, from being on the lake for a couple of days to then being in this, this valley you are surrounded by these super steep incredible mountains around you and um it is hot and then that wind just picks up in the afternoon and it, it is that wind i think it's like four o'clock in the afternoon and every single day at four o'clock like you know it's just gonna it's gonna pick up it's just a very um predictable thing but great for the vines uh it keeps them dry so it keeps the uh, uh 
the, the chance of rot a little bit lower. Um, and just because of that, it's a lot easier to be organic there. And so you see a lot of uh, organic and biodynamic producers in the Smokemean Valley, um, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, but it is very hot and you see that huge change day to night in, in temperatures. So um, again, you get that beautiful acidity and you also get that ripeness and you can have those, those sort of bigger style reds as well as some of those really bright white and yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's, uh, and you have, so you have the Clos de Soleil there, which is one of the wines I, I also have here. A couple of my favorites, um, Corselet. Uh, Corselet actually just about two doors down from Clos de Soleil. And here I have the Rosé, which is, <laughs> which is delicious. And they have, um, uh, they make a lot of reds as well. It's really what they're known for, but um, their Rosé is, is a really great food wine. It's really full bodied for a Rosé. So I like it. it's dry and it's nice. Uh, Orofino is another one, um, something that I think is a winery that really flies under the radar, but is producing incredible Rieslings and incredible Bordeaux blends. Uh, this here is their Syrah, which is lovely. It's really peppery and spicy, not too much oak, so it's still quite fresh. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's what I love about BC wine, I think is that freshness. I think that clearly comes across with my, my choices. Yeah. Do you, Christina, do you remember, so one thing that I think is changing in the smoke, I mean, a little bit, when we were there, we had a lunch at um, a place that I now don't remember the name of because um, <laughs> I didn't, again, really do. Yeah, Row 13. Um, okay. Row 13 is, is actually, it's a very cool restaurant. They're going to have some, they have some guest rooms as well, I believe. Uh, they have a cidery attached to a restaurant. It's actually um, a farm that started the restaurant. And so in a really cool way, they're using such local produce because, um, they're using their own produce, but it was actually a, a farm that we worked with, the restaurant that I was at in, in Vancouver, Wildebeest, worked with directly. And uh, and then they went and opened their restaurant and we were supposed to do, it was April last year, we were supposed to do a, a dinner. Wildebeest was gonna go up to row 13 and do a special um, guest chef uh, dinner. And um, so yeah, a really exciting place. And I think what you do see is you see that sort of growth of a little bit more tourism and a little bit more um, sort of bringing guests to come in and stay for a few days, as opposed to just it being a day trip, which it was for, I think, quite a while. I know Orofino also maybe has some guest accommodation. Do, yeah, yeah. Not, so, not it overlooks the vineyards. I mean, like any, anytime you stay at a winery, you know that you're lucky out because you're going to be, look out one window and there's vineyards and you look out another window and there's more. So it's, it's pretty good. Um, awesome. Well, and, and then anywhere else in British Columbia that you think, hey, you know, there maybe, maybe not, yeah. maybe to visit, maybe just to look out for wine from if you're up there. Um, so there's also the islands is one of the uh, geographical indications in BC and I, I think they're just starting to get a little bit of attention. Um, I, I have here, I have Seastar uh, Ortega and Seastar uh, is on Pender Island um, and it is one of the small Gulf islands. You can see it from Lummi Island so there's a, like you know there's quite a connection between the those uh, the San Juan Islands and and uh, the Gulf Islands there but it's uh it's not one where you're going to see lots of big reds being grown. It is very much <laughs> maritime uh, climate, but it is great for these aromatic whites. And so you see coming from there, they are growing some Pinot, which is nice. And they have a beautiful rosé. Um, and so, yeah, Pender Island is making some wines. There's some wines on some like Salt Spring as well, as well as Main Island and um, Saturna. They're, they're all growing grapes. So it's, it's really interesting to see what's happening there. Uh, it's definitely one of the smaller regions. Uh, Vancouver Island being the largest area, but you do have these wonderful little pockets on Vancouver Island. And so um, if you're, uh, if, if you're sort of the area around Duncan, you'll see there are some, some vineyards there and, um, and you do get some great, again, it's, it's really Pinot Noirs and, and aromatic whites. Yeah, we had a, I had a Pinot from there when I was up last from Vancouver Island. It was just ethereal. I wish I could remember who made it, but it was, yeah. Um, Unsworth is, is a winery that you'll probably be the first winery to see that you'll see in the States really from the islands. I think Unsworth is, is okay. the one to look out for because they have a connection now with, um, I can't remember the family's name, but it's a family in California who have, have purchased them. So okay. definitely you'll see, I think you'll see some, some of those wines coming to the States yeah. now. They've got some yeah, Pinot Gris, Pinot Noir, lovely. And I'll, I'll say one last thing on this, or well, unless, obviously, Christine, I'll give you the last word on, on <laughs> wine before we talk about anything else. But I will say one thing from my perspective, just, you know, here in Seattle. Um, one, like a couple of things. It's, 
the border is an annoyance for sure, right? Like, you know, especially now uh, for good reason, I suppose, but, but is an annoyance. But really, and truly, and I, and I believe this, and I was on the way to trying to do this before the world kind of changed. Um, I hope to do it at some point. But I really believe that, you know, if you look at the Willamette Valley and maybe even Southern Oregon up through British Columbia, you're really looking at one region and one wine region that has a lot of different facets and that the border is what it is. And actually the thing that continues to shock me is that no one has decided, despite all the success of wineries just across the border in, in the Asoyas area, there's no vineyard land. You literally cross the border and the land stopped. It's very weird. You know, you would think someone would decide that it was worth a little investment up there. Any of you who have some extra cash who want to pour me some money to start a winery in the middle of fucking nowhere, Washington, we can do it. Uh, the land I'm sure is extremely cheap. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, so, so it is really one region and it doesn't make sense to, to sort of say, you know, that this is something totally different. It's very similar in a lot of ways. There's a lot of commonalities. And as Christina mentioned, from a, from a food and cuisine and standpoint, you know, you go to BC, you go to Vancouver and the menu and everything looks exactly like you would see, you know, I mean, not exactly, but very similar conceptually to what you would find in Seattle, which makes sense. They're very similar cities in a lot of ways. Um, the, the thing I will say is that, um, the biggest holdup for getting the beast for one of the biggest holdups for getting BC wine into the U.S. is the BC wineries themselves. Um, unfortunately, uh, thing I have complained about a bunch is you know they are have a certain benefit of you know they're they're still largely able to sell so much of their wine direct to consumer in the local market, which is obviously more profitable for them than selling into distribution. But as the industry continues to grow, that's going to change. I mean, the growth in BC wine industry is not is greatly exceeding the growth of the population of British Columbia. So yeah. someone is going to have to drink that wine. Although I, I would say this last year has really done that. Uh, well, that's true. I guess it's probably <laughs> slowed the growth a lot. There's been, there's been a lot of uh, uh, direct to consumer. I think that definitely been seeing kind of a growth in that uh, area that people have really started exploring BC wines and here <laughs> because, you know, they can get them shipped to their houses and yeah, that was nice and easy. Yeah, yeah. But I do agree. There is, I mean, there's, I think, I think there will be, but we're kind of that, the size of the industry is on the cusp of being able to really export in any sort of meaning, meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that will, I think that will change in the next few years. And I think you'll see it. There are a, a handful of wineries that are, are very much focused on getting the product out and, and getting into other markets. And you'll see something like Painted Rock yeah. is the winery that, that you might come across as well. And that's a, a really high quality, these great big breads, they're, they're delicious. They are age worthy. They're that sort of Bordeaux blend and their Syrah are, um, are definitely uh, worth the purchase, but they're coming out of our market at $35, $50, $60 and getting and, and into an international market and getting a markup on that. And that's, uh, you know, it's a difficult thing to break into is, is being a high priced wine from a region that people don't know. Yes. <laughs> are you gonna gamble $50 on a wine from somewhere you have no sort of reference to? But what I will say to that exact point is for you all who yeah. are to some extent, you know, the kind of people who would be willing to maybe consider some of this if you haven't already. Um, again, the best thing to do is when it's possible for those of us here in the States to go visit, go visit, because you really will get a sense of the place and a sense of the wines and you can try a lot. But really, truly, BC is, I mean, the whole Northwest is to some extent still a really good, you know, quality to price ratio kind of place like you know unless you're at the very top end of the market you know you're largely going to do well for your dollar or whatever but but bc especially i mean i'm always shocked when i'm up there at, you know how you know unless you are at shopping at the very top end of the bc market and even then it's not that expensive you know and granted it's a young industry as christina mentioned doesn't have a lot of global acclaim but it is legitimately capable of producing some absolutely spectacular wines across a really wide range of styles. So, um, you know, I know Donna, you guys are big fans of Riesling. I, I think I've seen some nodding along. So I suspect you maybe been up there already and are familiar. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> we were going to go last summer again. Uh, oh. What, what, do you have favorite wineries? Since you have oh, some- You mentioned so many of them. Yeah, we stayed yeah. at Burrowing Owl and we had very memorable meals that just sitting outside and enjoying the gorgeous scenery at Inkamip, at Mission Hill, at Burrowing Owl, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, and some little eclectic places too, like okay. Blasted Church and yeah, and, uh, Dirty Laundry and, yeah, and uh, <laughs> fun places, Wild Goose or something like that. Like yeah, that. Wild Goose makes great Rieslings. Oh, they had great whites. Yeah, Burling is another one I really like. Which one? Burling. Oh yeah, Sperling's Sperling's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I think it really is is being there is is a big part of it because there are the big wineries that might. And, and, and this is like any wine region, you know, there are the labels that are able to do export, but there's a lot of things that will always just be BC and they'll always just be within BC. And I think you get that experience and that is kind of going to somewhere um, like Blasted Church or uh, kind of seeing some of the, the smaller wineries and, and like Tantalus might make it out of BC, but across the lake you have um kitsch and they probably won't but they're doing some some beautiful wines and it's a great experience tasting that was just so beautiful up there the lake was so beautiful the people were so friendly the food was great so we just we just loved it and we're like hoping we can get back up there soon yes (laughs) yeah i i feel that that desire i mean there's a lot of places in the wine world i would like to go visit in the world period but wine world specifically i'd like to go visit but it's it's especially painful because uh you know bc is so close that it's uh, the kind of thing that's a little easier to pull, even with a kid and a dog and all that. Um, well, and we like the younger wine regions too because they're they're still figuring out what they do best. So it's mm-hmm. kind of fun to go back and see how they're evolving. So we're yeah. we're looking forward to it. And we enjoyed the ice wines too. We didn't yeah, well, talk yeah. about those tonight, yeah. but yeah, good point. Actually, so Don, Donnie mentioned that I I from the same trip that I went with my dad um, in 20, 2006, I guess it was. We got some. Uh, I think it's a um, gosh, who was one? Geringer Brothers, right? Is that ring a bell? Oh, yeah, yeah, we went yeah. there. Yeah. And uh, an ice wine, a, a Syrah ice wine from them that I we also opened um, that same day, the or ten years later. And actually, that wine was the real standout. It was, I mean, ten years later was just amazing. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know what's going on. I think there's still some ice wine production, but even in even in a place like uh, the Okanagan, where it's obviously you definitely get a lot of cold in the winter. Ice wine production is a really tricky thing these days with climate change. Yeah. It, it, you know, you see so little of it in Germany these days, Germany and Austria. I think maybe you actually see it a little more consistently on the other side of Canada, the Niagara area, where, where they For do sure. consistently get deep freezes closer to the uh, harvest time. But yeah, I mean, because um, I know, uh, again, um, talking to Dave Patterson, it's analyst, he mentioned, you know, we have a bottle somewhere of their, I think in, in storage, of their, um, of a Syrah ice wine that they made. But he was like, you know, we're not making this anymore. We just, it's too inconsistent. Mm. It's just, we can't count on getting the fruit to that, you know, getting the cold when we need it before the fruit starts to rot, essentially. Mm-hmm. Or, or, well, not rot, but go bad. Yeah. So, but, but it's still, I mean, it's still possible in the Okanagan for sure. And there are definitely still people making it. It's just a little less consistent than it used to be because it's just, the winters aren't as harsh. Yeah. Which, you know, if you live there, maybe you don't mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, some not somehow, totally understandably, we managed to spend almost an entire hour talking about BC wine. So yeah. maybe we'll have to talk another time, Christine, about some of the other things we had that we had discussed. Yeah. Are there any other comments or questions or thoughts on, on BC wine or anything else for that matter? I mean, like, as I mentioned, Christina knows a shit ton about many other things besides BC wine. I just am <laughs> pigeonholing her as our uh, first Canadian on here. No, it's great. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's it's lovely. Um, it's it's a kind of a, a fun, really fun thing to share BC wine. I really love it. I love a lot of wine, but I do love BC wine. But it's always fun to share that with other people. So, um, I'm always, if anyone has questions for me, or if you want any producer names to look up, or you know, feel, feel free to reach out. I can put you in touch with Christina. Exactly. Yeah. Please feel free to to, to reach out to me because I'm always happy. And, um, <laughs> to and maybe we'll. Uh, Maybe we'll have to do once uh, God in this like in this world that is not no longer just dominated by COVID. Hopefully, in the future, maybe we'll do a we'll we'll I'll, I'll take a trip up and we'll do some sort of event up there. It'll be a lot of fun. That'd be um, great. That'd be great. Yeah. Dreams. Dreams. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty lucky. We've we've done some really fun dinners uh, just with the restaurants I work with in Vancouver. We've connected a lot with with the uh, the wineries in the Okanagan and. Um, yeah. And a lot of dinners. We did some dinners up at Tantalus uh, for the last two summers. We've done dinners up at Tantalus, and uh, and that's a, a, just a really fun, fun thing to do. We did a, a sausage and rosé party. So we have a charcuterie program at one of the restaurants, and we did uh, with a whole bunch of wines. So 
um, at a wine, another winery. So it was just like, there's always a lot of things going on in the summer in the Okanagan. So if you're ever going up there, it's, you know, connect because um, like I, I can always give you some, some more insight on what's what's happening up there and what fun events are going on. So, so. Very cool. Well, Christina, right. thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you all for being here. Appreciate it.